Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs. My popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Happy Jewish Genetic Screening Awareness Week. What a perfect time to be releasing this amazing podcast episode with genetic counselor Dina Goldberg, better known as Dina DNA. We talk about everything that people need to consider when they're considering genetic counseling, especially in the Ashkenazi Jewish population. If you've been thinking about genetic testing, now is really a great time because I have a special code for $72 off genetic screening through JScreen. They're an amazing organization. I did my own personal um, genetic counseling with them a few months back. Use code JGSAW23 for $72 off genetic testing at jscreen.org. That's code JGSAW23 for $72 off genetic testing at jscreen.org. This offer expires at the end of February, so don't wait long. For either the Cancer Gen, which screens for um, BRCA and 60 other cancer susceptibility genes. This is available for anyone 21 and older who wants to know their, their hereditary risk for cancer. Also the ReproGen, which is something that you would want to take if you're considering um, having a child. It tests for Tay-Sachs and over 200 disease genes that, are, that can be passed on to your offspring. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Love your background so much that's so cute you're the first person to see it officially wow oh my gosh it's so cute thank you i uh i made a little youtube corner in my bedroom that's awesome welcome to season two of my podcast so excited to welcome dina goldberg uh, better known as dina dna she is a master's of science and a certified genetic counselor um she runs her own practice now at malibu genetics but she trains at uc irvine and previously worked at ucsf dina i'm so happy to have you with me tonight thank you i'm happy to finally like see you your face and speak at the same time. <laughs> I feel like I know you because you put out so much content on social media. I know people say the same about me, but yeah, weird to finally like get to know you for real. It's pretty cool. I look forward to the times when you can actually have a conversation like this. Yeah, I know. Me too. Um, so you are a genetic counselor. And what I love about your Instagram is that you have a background in theater and singing and you really... <laughs> yeah, I love that. Tell me more about your new real stuff that's going on. Oh, well, I, um, you know, social media is one big experiment. And um, I've realized that TikTok and Instagram have different audiences with different desires. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I got the Instagram type of video down, but TikTok is very difficult. Definitely. So it has to be more fun and less produced. Um, so I've just been playing around with different, you know, songs to, to try and educate people. It's, I call it edutainment. 
So it's, it's entertainment, but it's also educational. Um, and I'm going to be playing around soon with different characters. So I actually, I'm starting, uh, some classes here cause I live in Los Angeles. So I'm going to be starting some acting classes to work on character development. And then I'm going to use that in my videos. I feel like your reels inspire me to do more things. So I appreciate it. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I know. I noticed you, you use the conversation thing, which does really well on TikTok. I think it's so smart. Like when you say oh, she doesn't know I follow the booby docs or like, I feel like that's such a good way to incorporate like your Instagram and yeah. your expertise, right? Right. And then people press follow because yeah. they're like, well, I want to follow them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's cool. All right. So let's get to business. So first of all, what exactly is a genetic counselor? Sure. So it's a, um, uh, a, prof- a healthcare professional specialized in genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are trained in all different areas of how to incorporate genetics into healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so we usually get trained uh, in prenatal, pediatric, cancer, um, some of the other adult onset conditions like cardio issues, um, neurology issues, and then also kind of trained from the industry perspective. And then once you train and all that and you do your rotations, um, you end up, you know, selecting a job and then many people specialize in one of those areas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we kind of have, you know, genetics overall, you use the same set of skills in each of those areas, but then you get kind of more specific within your specialty. Um, I hope that is a good <laughs> summary no, it's a great it's a great answer, and I think a lot of people that are listening is like, who should be seeing a genetic counselor? So, what are some good reasons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends. So I like to think of it as that at any there's there's a genetic counselor for pretty much every stage of life. So mm-hmm. when you're planning a pregnancy, there are genetic counselors that help you with the genetic testing that's needed before you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Once you're pregnant, there are prenatal genetic counselors to help you that at that point, um, like if there's some abnormality on an ultrasound or if a screening comes up ne- um, abnormal, then they can help you figure out what the next steps are. Then there's genetic counselors who work with pediatrics. So if a baby's born with a condition, they help them get a diagnosis or a child develops a condition later, a little bit later in their childhood. And maybe they've, they're seeing all these different people. A, a pediatric genetic counselor can help their family find a diagnosis and find resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are times when like if there's a strong family history of something like cancer, mm-hmm. heart disease, um, dementia, um, and, and now kind of this, because genetic research is exploding, this, th- this expertise is now also exploding into other areas and other mm-hmm. specialties. Um, so really the main things we look for, for finding a gene- for talking to a genetic counselor for an adult onset condition are when there are medical issues that run in a family or that are seen in multiple relatives, because that usually means there's at least some sort of genetic component. And in many of those cases, we can test for it um, and then help people get resources and, you know, the treatment that they need or even prevent disease. Okay, that's really helpful. So with regards to cancer, like which can people who are diagnosed with cancer, or they have a family history, what type, which people should be going to a genetic counselor? Yeah. So, okay. So there are some cancers that are more likely to be, or are more often associated with a hereditary genetic change mm-hmm. or genetic syndrome. So an example is like ovarian cancer. So mm-hmm. when so, some studies have shown that up to 24% of ovarian cancers 
are associated with a genetic change, right. which is really high. That's like one in four. So um, anyone with ovarian cancer, and now the the NCCN or the National Comprehensive Cancer Network recommends um, anyone with pancreatic cancer because that's also um, highly associated. And then those with aggressive prostate cancer and then breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be at a young age, but now what they're finding is because genetic testing can not only help with prevention, but also with treatment and selecting mm-hmm. a a treatment that anybody who is um, in the process of their oncologist is in the process of choosing the right treatment for them should be offered genetic testing. So it's kind of moved towards all anybody with gen- with breast cancer too. Would you add in there like anyone who's interested in learning about their genetics or is that yeah. too broad? <laughs> Yeah, no. So, I mean, there's there's different kind of areas of thought there. So um, some people may say that, well, there's only so many genetic counselors and it should be people who have an indication for seeing a genetic counselor. Mm-hmm. But my thought is that anybody, everyone should be able to access this, especially before you get you know, a disease or an illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I, there's, there's both, if you have a family history, for sure, you know, seeing a genetic counselor is helpful, mm-hmm. but also even if you don't have a family history or you don't know it because you're adopted or donor conceived, mm-hmm. there are proactive tests that we can do as well. Wow. Um, and so when you say pancreatic cancer and ovarian cancer, that's like for the patient, but what about the rest of the family members? Who are the family yes. members? Yes. Yeah. So first degree relatives also, um, okay. it's recommended and in even second in some cases, it really depends on the family because sometimes that relative is no longer available because they're not living or they right. refuse testing. Um, so then the next closest relative should get tested. Um, and same with breast cancer. If you have a close relative with breast cancer, it just, it depends on, there's all these guidelines if um, to, to kind of help um, us get coverage from insurance. Mm-hmm. So the insurance wants to cover it only if there's a high enough risk of someone being positive mm-hmm. and it actually helping. But the cost of testing has gone down so tremendously that the out-of-pocket cost is $250 now, which for a lot of people is like worth it, you know, even if you don't fit criteria. Yeah, and there are so many programs out there that offer discounted genetic screening, especially if you can't afford it. I actually have a code for $72 off genetic screening through JScreen at the beginning of this episode. I personally had my own genetic screening through them a few months back. I actually have BRCA in my family, which we can talk about. I think it's so important to learn about what your risks are. Exactly. Like the more knowledge we have, the more power we have. So going back to BRCA and the Ashkenazi Jewish population, um, and the BRCA mutation is 1 in 40 in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, which is 10 times higher than the average population, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. yes. Why is it so much higher? And should all Ashkenazi Jewish women undergo genetic testing? Yeah, great question. So all Ashkenazi Jewish women and men mm-hmm. should undergo genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. So um, all Ashkenazi Jews, I'm going to say we because I'm also Ashkenazi. So right. we okay. we descend from a small community um, that can be, we can trace back to Europe. And in that community, there were probably three individuals who had these mutations. We call them founder mutations or founder mm-hmm. variants. Um, and that because every Ashkenazi Jew today is descended from that smaller population, mm-hmm. um, one in 40 of us carries a BRCA founder mutation. Mm-hmm. And so there's these three points across uh, along um, BRCA one and two that are considered these Jewish founder mutations. And mm-hmm. so because that one in 40 number is so high, 
And not everyone will have a family history because it's either passed from a dad or it's a small family history or small family tree mm-hmm. or there's not enough information. Um, the, the recommendation is that every Ashkenazi Jewish person should be tested for at minimum mm-hmm. those founder mutations. Yeah. However, because our technology is so good now and because it's mm-hmm. the same price and because there are Jews that carry other mutations, such as ATM variants, um, such as a a very specific variant on a gene called APC uh, that can also tell us a little bit more about our cancer risk. It's, I I think it's really important that Jews get panels and not just those founder mutations. Um, And I also think that we're going to get to a point where everybody's just offered this regardless of their history, because we also know that in certain minority groups, like in the black community, it's higher. It's higher than in the European community. Probably for similar reasons, I'd imagine, like starting from small populations that now have right, like spread out over time. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly that. And and um, and maybe just because the way that genetics and population genetics works, it just statistically, it's never going to be the exact same with populations. And the population we've studied is the Mm -hmm. European population, like general European. And so we haven't really studied these other minority groups that Mm -hmm. may have higher rates just naturally from, you know, random statistics too. Another important thing that I wanted to point out is that black people, even though they're more common to have genetic mutations, they're also less likely to be referred to a genetic counselor, uh, thus worsening breast cancer disparities even further. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So yeah, my cousins, I think I'm actually, I think you're the episode right after them, but they are, they both had, um, they were both diagnosed with breast cancer in their thirties and found to be spontaneous carriers of of BRCA. Um, I think it's BRCA1 um, and like have never identified the source. So the vast majority of BRCA mutation carriers are, mm-hmm. yeah, it came from a parent. There are some rare cases of what's called de novo, which is where it's a new mutation in a person. And so it d- truly didn't come from a parent, mm-hmm. but that's really rare. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely it's probably, do you know if it's a Jewish founder mutation? Probably like, okay. I don't know. I'll have to find out to be continued. Yeah. If it is, then we know for sure it goes back many generations. Right. But I've been tested recently and negative. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing is that most people that are diagnosed with breast cancer will have no known genetic mutation. Why is that? Yeah. So breast cancer, we know that, um, what is it, like 12%? right? Like one in one eight, eight, like women, 12. one in eight women. Yeah. Yeah. One in eight women will get breast cancer. Um, and the majority of them are what we consider sporadic. Mm-hmm. So that's where they have a cancer that's not caused that's, that's more likely to be caused by a combination of a lot of different factors mm-hmm. and not so much genetics. So most people with breast cancer actually most likely won't have a family history because it truly is sporadic and it wasn't, you know, from, it wasn't from family risk. It was from, you know, their just risk of everything they're exposed to throughout their lifetime. And so um, because of that, there's no genetic test that's going to show us anything because it's probably not genetic. And then we have the second category that's more familial and that's where it's probably a combination of genes and environment. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're seeing clusters of cancer, but no specific mutation. So if you have multiple people in a family with breast cancer and no 
um, like ex- explanation for it. It could yeah. be because it's caused by multiple things and not just one mutation. And then there's about 10 to 15% of cancers that are hereditary. Mm-hmm. And so that's, those are the ones we can use genetic testing. So the majority of cancer are actually not from a hereditary cancer syndrome. Right. But because there's that 10 to 15 percent that are mm-hmm. those can be uh, many of them can be avoided or mm-hmm. like personally treated, you know, given very specific treatment. So that's why we we still test as m- more people for it. Yeah, I guess that's my other p- question is like, well, how does knowledge I mean, I know the answer to this, but like how does knowledge of your genetic mutation change your management or treatment or even your screening recommendations? Yeah. Okay. So there's like three things I think about. So one is prevention mm-hmm. or maybe two things. So there it can, you can help. Um, if you know you have a mutation before you get a cancer, right. then there are things you can do. So for example, if we're talking about colon cancer, getting colonoscopies earlier and more frequently has mm-hmm. been shown to um, significantly reduce the risk of colon cancer because mm-hmm. you're taking polyps out before they can turn to cancer. Right. So it's a, it's a intervention that you can do to screen and prevent mm-hmm. the cancer. For people with an increased risk for breast cancer, there's the two options of increased screening, right? Or the pre- preventative mastectomy. Right. And, right. Um, and so having those options, we've shown those also can significantly reduce the chance of breast cancer. Right. And then for ovaries, you know, the prophylactic oophorectomy and self-injectomy, um, so taking out the fallopian tubes and, and ovaries. And so that's the prevention part. So it's not always surgery. Sometimes there's medications that can lower risk as well. Like um, right. right, right. And then like with people that have Lynch syndrome, there's aspirin therapy and, and then there's oral contraception for the gynecological cancer. So, so it can be medication. Um, it can be screening. It can be surgery, right? That's all prevention. And then if you have a cancer or if you are know your mutation and you're diagnosed with the cancer, then depending on what the mutation is, there may be very specific treatment strategies for that cancer. So for instance, people with BRCA, they can use PARP inhibitors, which mm-hmm. is, is really, um, it reacts very well to compared to what they would generally be treated with. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have Lynch syndrome or similar mutations can use immunotherapies that really target the, tr- the cancer and, and do a really good job. Um, so knowing your mutation also helps in the treatment realm as well. Um, I want to focus a little bit on screening because obviously as a radiologist, <laughs> that is what I right. do. Right, right. So- in terms of screening, so all women should, um, starting routine annual screening mammography at age 40 for average risk women saves the most lives. There's other, there's conflicting recommendations, but that the fact right. is that that saves most lives in average risk women. So women who have um, a family history of breast cancer may need to st- especially in a first degree relative, uh, may need to start earlier, consider supplemental screening. So one rule of thumb is 10 years before your earliest first degree relative. Um, right. Uh, but not before age 30 for mammography and age 25 for MRI. And that also brings up that you might want to do supplemental screening. So a lot of people are on, um, they do mammogram and MRI if they're high risk. If they're over 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer, then we start adding in breast MRI either, you know, at the same time as their mammogram or I like every six months kind of staggering the two. Yes. Yeah. That's what we recommend too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another recommendation, this is kind of going back, is that all, um, the Society of Breast Imaging and, and 
American College of Radiology say that all women, especially Ashkenazi, Jewish, and Black women, should undergo um, risk factor assessments no later than age 30 so that you could identify the people, people who are high risk and may benefit from earlier or supplemental screening. Um, and I love to tell that recommendation because that's fairly new. A lot of people don't know about it. And I think it's really important because like those, you know, trying to kind of funnel those people, identify the people that might benefit from, you know, MRI screening in their 20s or 30s or seeing a genetic counselor. I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't I don't think I was aware of that. It's very similar to what we've told, at least in my previous clinic to what we told people in general. And whenever whenever I do public talks, other genetic counselors or just people will say, you know, every but every woman especially should know and understand their breasts and their body. Right. And their risks when they're in their 20s, even. Um, And then you can you can make a plan based on that, right? You don't have to, that doesn't mean you act in your twenties. It just means you're understanding, you understand and you're aware of it. It's in the back of your mind. It might, it might impact your reproductive choices. Like when you might get pregnant or when you might, maybe you might consider freezing embryos when you're younger, because you might consider early, you know, surgery or something like that. No, it's definitely an important conversation. And I think like part of my platform is trying to get to those 20 and 30 year olds to say, like, you are the population that needs to be educated on, like, there are 30 year olds, and unfortunately, 20 year olds that will be diagnosed with breast cancer and is trying to get to those people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's it's really difficult. I think that's, that's where social media really comes in, because that's where they are. Right. Like that's right, exactly that's how you're going to reach them. So if somebody is like primary care doctor has never really run in, somebody wanted to run their risk, breast cancer risk factors like they, themselves. I like to I mean, do you recommend doing like an online calculator? Yeah, there's a, a bunch of them out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. Um, those risk models are only as good as the data that we've put in to that's develop crazy. them. Right. And we know there's some biases in the data. We know that it doesn't really work well for people of mixed ancestry Mm -hmm. um, because the algorithms are for a specific ancestry group and and it's kind of generalizing in that group. Um, So I don't love risk models. So unfortunately, our conversation cut out here, but luckily I had an audio backup. Uh, on my phone, but basically she was saying that you could run the risk score on yourself after 30 using the Tyre Acoustic calculator or after age 35 using the Gale model, but you always want to confirm with a healthcare professional if you might be high risk. And again, the information that you get is only as good as the information you put in, so you're probably better off to have your doctor run it for you. So I apologize if the audio for the last 10 minutes of the episode is not great. We are using my iPhone backup for the recording, but I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, switching topics a little bit, but like what are what age do you recommend that people get genetic testing and what are some things that people should consider before doing genetic testing? Like I think we talked about insurance before and I think that's it. The earlier you can figure it out, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't typically test minors for adult onset conditions, so that's why I say 20s and not teens. Mm-hmm. Although there are some rare instances where it can affect teens, but um, most of the time it's 20s. So, um, so that's the age. The things I recommend talking about or thinking about beforehand are, yeah, so there's um, a law, there are laws at both the state and federal level that prevent or they prohibit genetic discrimination, Mm -hmm. meaning if 
your uh, employer or uh, insurance company finds out you have a predisposition to disease and yeah. you have not developed the disease yet, then you cannot be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. so they can't make hiring, firing, or bonus or um, decisions based on that. They also can't, your health insurance can't raise rates or deny coverage. Um, and there are exceptions for certain employers, but it's for the most part, um, uh, spans across everybody. All right. Um, but it doesn't apply to life insurance. And so there are laws kind of in the works to um, make it apply to life insurance, but for now it doesn't. And so if somebody's going to do genetic testing, part of the conversation ahead of time is um, that they need should consider getting a life insurance plan before they get their results. And once you have a life insurance plan locked in place, then you can get your results. And if they're positive, you have it locked in. If they're negative, it's up to you what you do. You can cancel the plan. You can keep the plan, whatever. Wow. Um, so that I tell everybody to do that. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell a patient, if you want, I'll hold these results until you get your life insurance plan. Oh, that's interesting. So they, they won't have them. So it's about results, not when you get genetically tested. Yeah, because the life insurance plan can't be like, well, we're going to wait on your results. Yeah. You. you know, they, they don't, at least now they don't do that. Uh -huh. um, but also sometimes people, if they feel comfortable, we can just say we won't test until you get life insurance. Well, that's really helpful to know. I mean, certainly if yeah. for someone in their 20s who's considering that, um, yeah. So some of these things, some of the genes we test for, uh, when you have one copy of a mutation, mm -hmm. you have an increased cancer risk. When you have two, you have a severe disease. So uh -huh. for instance, if somebody has a BR double, if they're homozygous for a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 mutation, it has to be the same gene. Okay. Um, uh, then they, the, if a person, if both partners carry BRCA, the same, you know, one or two, and they yeah. pass it on, and the baby has is homozygous for the mutation. Yeah. They'll have something called Fanconi anemia, mm -hmm. which is a very severe disorder um, with childhood onset cancers oh, wow. and other issues. Uh -huh. um, and then like Lynch syndrome has something called constitutional mismatch care deficiency, so it's recessive. So when we think about carrier screening, we're usually thinking about things that if you carry a mutation, you don't know because it's silent and, and most of those diseases, there's no history. But for some of the cancer genes, they as a single mutation are one thing and as a double mutation are a way worse thing. Interesting. So it is important to know that before you have kids. Right. Um, right. So I know that like when I, I mean, Ashkenazi Jewish people, I feel like when you get married, like you always like have to test um, your partner and make sure you don't have a lot of... Yeah, there's a whole hand, people always know Tay-Sachs because that was the big one. Right. Ago. Yes. Um, there's a whole handful of them that yeah. we know now, but unfortunately, the cancer genes are not on that. Oh, interesting. So that's not part of carrier screening. So that and that's there's one cancer gene on there. It's ATM. So and that's because ATM started out. We we found out about it because it caused ataxia telangiectasia, which is a very severe um, syndrome in childhood. But mothers of these children had higher rates of breast cancer, mm -hmm. and that's how they figured out that it being a single carrier of it could increase risk for breast cancer. Fascinating. So that's on carrier panels, mm -hmm. but BRCA isn't, so. which is kind of strange, but because there's such serious implications for it. Right. You don't want to just throw that around, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I spoke to Emily Goldberg, another great genetic counselor, um, on one of our earlier episodes, and we, we touched on this, and I really want to ask you about, so let's say you're a genetic carrier of BRCA, and you go through fertility 
And you could choose an embryo without BRCA, is that correct? Like the genetic yeah. mutation. Yeah, if you know about it ahead of time. It's called PGTM. Mm-hmm. What's that stand for? No, okay, tell so me more. Implantation genetic testing for monogenic conditions. Huh. Um, and it's basically if you know you have a single gene disorder, any single gene disorder that they can test for, mm-hmm. they can make primers to test embryos for it. Wow. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's another reason to know ahead of time if you have one of these severe cancer syndromes, yeah. you can avoid passing it down by doing something like IVF with PGTM. Um, that's fascinating. You know, going back to screening, you know, I spoke to Lainey, um, a good friend, Lainey Schultz, and she has uh, Lee Fermini syndrome. And she, you know, she actually was diagnosed with adrenal cortical cancer as a baby. And that should have been, that should have been like number one. She should have been tested at that time, but she wasn't. But, and things that happened throughout her life, she later gets diagnosed with breast cancer and got radiation, which it affects management, but now that they know she has Lee Fermini, they do. She flies to Houston every three months to go to MD Anderson. She gets a whole body MRI. So you know, we'll do these whole body MRIs for patients that um, that have a, you know a genetic some genetic mutations. These cancer specifically syndromes. Lee Fermini. Yeah. Lee Fermini. That is that's the syndrome that um, it can occur. Cancer can occur in so many different places. Yeah, that it's that's the best way that we found to really look at everything uh-huh. it's not a it's not recommended for really i i think most others oh really yeah yeah i wasn't sure which ones um yeah that's also fascinating and she also gets like she gets like chest wall radiation i mean chest wall ultrasounds because she had radiation in this field and they found a few sarcomas in this region like that they keep excising but because she's screened every three months like that they find the smallest little cancers and it's you know, she's a living testament why, you know, screening, you know, whole body MRI works. Like she's, they found all these different early cancers. Um, yeah, I think, and if we, if we think about the risk benefit for that, yeah. people with Lee Farmini, the chance of, if you see something on an MRI, like if, you know how, I mean, you know, as a radiologist, yeah. there are a lot of incidental findings, right? right whenever you do any imaging. Yeah. And I, when, when they, um, are doing this in the healthy population, there's so many incidental findings, the right. chance that their tumor is low. But in Lee Farmini patients, the chance that something is much higher, and so it's worth it. Yeah, you know? she actually talked about that she has, like, she had, so she had one adrenal gland left, and then they, they found, like, this three millimeter enhancing nodule that they ended up taking out, like, they had to remove her adrenal gland, and it was cancer. It was, like, the smallest adrenal cortical cancer they've ever seen. Wow. So, yeah, wow. like caught on a whole body MR. You talked about this a little bit in your stories, but when a family member has a, let's say a family has BRCA and somebody in the family is negative, the guilt associated with that. Yeah, the survivor guilt. Yeah. So that's, that's, um, so part of my training as a genetic counselor is the psychosocial uh, counseling, how to deliver this information mm-hmm. in a way that is uh, appropriate and best for that family or situation, mm-hmm. in a way that's ethical and psychologically sound. And so um, we have some we have counseling training, and we get trained on the different ways people may react to, to what's considered bad news mm-hmm. or may believe that bad news is good news, you know, or right. expecting or not expecting it. 
Um, and in families where there's a, a lot of people that are affected by a mutation and then there's somebody who isn't, yeah. uh, you would think that that person would be happy, but a lot of times they feel guilty that they're unaffected. And so that's considered survivor guilt, whether uh-huh. or not they're survivors, right? Like they're not really surviving anything, but it's considered, um, it's a feeling that they they are surviving something that others aren't. Uh-huh. Um, and that they, and they themselves may become caretakers, they may... Um, you know, have to witness all these people they love going through this and, and realize that they don't. And then they also could still develop a cancer that's sporadic. Right. So even in families with lots of cancer that's hereditary, someone who's negative, they don't have no cancer risk. They just have average cancer risk. That's right. And so they still have that one in eight chance yeah. right, of getting a breast cancer. So, um, so there's a lot of feelings associated with that, but that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of a lot that we think about and talk about in the genetic counseling session before somebody gets testing and after, Mm -hmm. and we touch on a lot of these emotions. And Mm -hmm. I think that this is an an area, one of the reasons why um, my profession even exists and why it keeps existing because it is something that is a very unique type of training that we're uniquely qualified to spend a lot of time talking to a patient about. Yeah. Well, it's clear that you are very passionate about what you do, um, and you're, <laughs> I definitely want to come see you, but what inspired you to become a genetic counselor? Yeah, uh, so originally, so first of all, my parents are doctors, like they're mm-hmm. uh, an MD, went to PhD, and I, even though I wanted to be an actress, mm-hmm. um, they somehow convinced me I also loved, well, I did, I love science, mm-hmm. but when my sister, my youngest sister was born, I was six years old, and because my mom's a pediatrician, she knew something was off, and it turned out that my sister had a chromosome abnormality, and so my parents found the Chromosome 18 Research and Registry Foundation, um, which which was like the only, it was actually started by a parent who also happened to be a geneticist, and so she's dedicated her life to studying chromosome 18 anomalies, Mm -hmm. Um, and so they had this huge family registry and they have yearly um, get-togethers in the, in the U.S. and in Europe. And um, and so that really inspired me and I think they kind of like groomed me mm-hmm. to do something in genetics. Um, and, and I wanted originally to work with people to help them find diagnoses and then help them find groups like that one for their diagnosis. Uh-huh. But um, I ended up getting steered in another direction and then becoming a cancer genetic counselor. So, uh, yeah, I've done, I've done ants. I've worked in an ancestry lab. Uh-huh. I've worked uh, in different areas of biology and then I did cancer tissue culture. I, I was actually getting breast from mastectomies and the, I was wow. the lab tech that was cutting up this tissue to study. Um, and then, yeah, I decided I, I did not like the lab and I went to, I decided to see patients instead. And it, that's when I, I guess that brought me to my grad program. Well, they must be very proud of you. <laughs> and look at you. You're incorporating your singing and your acting into your genetic counselor I know. career. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> what a great time to be alive, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so what is your take-home message for anyone listening about, uh, and uh, what's your take-home message to anyone listening about uh, genetic screening? Um. I would say, you know, if you have a family history or personal history that you think is concerning, that it's, it's always important to ask to either either to find a genetic counselor and ask them about it. Um, because what happens is a lot of times people come in 
and they think their risk is higher than it is or that it's lower than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them, after a conversation where we do this risk assessment, sometimes people will choose not to do a genetic test because all we need to do is have this conversation and they realize they're not really at an increased risk. Mm-hmm. And that, that eases so much anxiety that people don't realize they were carrying. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't think you want to do genetic testing, if you want to kind of talk about your risk, genetic counselors are available for that. Um, if you want to do genetic testing regardless, we're available to help you. Um, and I think that, like, me personally, I know not all my colleagues agree with this, but I think anyone that should, that is interested in their risk should be able to have a genetic test, that, that we shouldn't be gatekeepers, and that there are people that are out there doing things like 23andMe or mm-hmm. doing non-legitimate tests. Yeah. And we might as well help people get a legitimate test, you know, and be there. I'd rather be part of that, that process than, than them coming to me afterwards, be having been missed. Right. Right. So, um, so I, I think anybody interested should be able to, to get care. So, so that's, I actually, I started Malibu Genetics. It's a a concierge genetic counseling Mm -hmm. service. And it's for anybody who's interested in really genetic testing at all, specifically um, cancer or proactive purposes Mm -hmm. uh, for that reason, so that I could help people kind of guide them through, um, you know, screening. Love that for you. <laughs> no, I, I listen. I think I think knowledge is power. I am all for educating about your risk. You know, it's empowering to know that you have a genetic mutation. You could do something about it, right? There's options out there if you are affected. All right. Well, I've loved speaking to you. I'm happy we finally got to do it. Um, where can people find you on social media? Okay, so I. And go by Dina DNA, so D E N A DNA. I love that. Um, my Instagram has a dot in, in the middle because I couldn't get Dina DNA for some reason. It was taken. The TikTok is just one word. Um, but yeah, they. Are, you can also go to dinadna.com. I have all my stuff there, and um, I'm hoping to do more on YouTube and Facebook soon too. Love it. What What are we? What What should the people expect from Dina DNA the next few months? Oh my gosh! So um, I think. Probably some fun collaborations um, and some like silly videos. I love it. <laughs> uh, part of my income is also is sponsored content now, oh. so I'll be doing some sponsored content with different organizations or companies, and then um, good for you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I gotta have like you know gotta pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I'm so yeah, fun stuff, silly stuff experimental stuff it probably won't make sense like the pattern of what i'm going to be doing because it's always an experiment on social media i love it um and i'm hoping to pitch i'm hoping to get funding to create a really good a high budget web series Mm -hmm. with a a geneticist where we take at-home genetic tests so that's something Mm. that we are working on probably within like around 2023 love it Looking forward to all of it. And I definitely want to collaborate. We got to make a TikTok. Like, yes. Love chatting with you. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I did. 
Again, if you're considering genetic testing, use code JGSAW23, that's JGSAW23, for $72 off genetic testing at jscreen.org. This offer expires at the end of February, so don't wait long. If you're looking for a more concierge and comprehensive risk assessment session, then I highly recommend seeing Dina Goldberg at Malibu Genetics. Dina will work with you to make a personalized healthcare plan based on your risk factors, um, and she really is a wonderful resource. Visit MalibuGenetics.com for more information. Wishing you the best of luck. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for this show. Take it away, Christian.